Hello and welcome to this episode of the Photography Podcast. Hope you guys are well. I don't know, I think we're on episode 13 of season 2 now or something along those lines. Um, we are four strong this week. I uh, want to say welcome back to, to Paul. Hello Paul. Are you, are you alright Paul? Down there? Yeah. Yeah. What's he doing? Just getting centred, that's all. Sorry. Yeah. How, how are you feeling mate? Uh, tired but fine, thank you for very much for asking. Yeah. Yeah. So how long has it been now, Paul? Is it a fortnight? It was two. I started feeling rough on Sunday before I tested positive on Tuesday, and it was two weeks last Tuesday uh, that I right. started. Well, I was tested positive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I think it's a, a friend of mine. You know, he he had it before I did, and I spoke to him you know, a couple of months after, and he and he actually said, "I'm just starting to feel." Normal. You know, yeah, like kind of pre-COVID now. But his yeah. energy, it, it's funny how it affects some people worse than others, doesn't it, really? Yeah, but it does. I think it, it can, for me, I think it was about a month before I started to feel, you know, really fighting fit again. I think the big one is COVID brain. Is My brain is not, doesn't fire on all four cylinders anyway. Definitely. <laughs> uh, but no, it's well. definitely not not at the moment, yeah. uh, uh, especially towards the end, end of the day. Yeah. Uh, because... Uh, uh, I, I sometimes work late, um, and um, I almost felt, last night I almost felt drunk. <laughs> I was in clinic, and it, my mind was just like uh, mush. But yeah, uh, which yeah that normal. was my excuse last week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe whiskey fog. But yeah, whiskey COVID, COVID fog. That is a that is a real thing actually. Because I it? had that. Yeah, yeah right. I had it as well. So did Helen. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's difficult to tell the difference for me. So that hasn't cleared yet for you, Darren, has no. it? No, <laughs> it's never cleared. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but it was a little bit kind of worrying, you know, I'd kind of walk into a room for something, and I know we all do that, we all go into autopilot and go into a room, I say, like, what did I come in here for? But I, I, I was making a cup of tea and, you know, kind of got the milk out, and then I'd go to the fridge to get the milk out, but it was already on the side, and it was all... Yeah, very. Uh, it was a bit worrying for a while. I thought I was kind of losing the plot, but <laughs> it did start to go. It starts to go now. Yeah. Awesome. Talking about forgetting things, we haven't forgotten that Jamie's not here. Uh, he's uh, he's living up in London tonight, so uh, yeah, he's having a good time. Hope you have a good time, mate. Uh, hope yeah. you enjoy yourself. And yeah, have a good one, Jay. Seeing the show, isn't he? Yeah. Is he seeing the show? Believe so. Yeah. Yeah, he likes so. a bit of musical theatre, apparently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's he going to say? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know did what he, he's going to Did see. he not put in the group what he was, did, no. what he was doing? No. no, I didn't. We'll get the details from him next week, shall we? I like a good show in London. I do. I'm a big, I'm a big fan. Soho, is it? I t- mate, I'll tell you something. Soho is great of a night. Good night out. It's a brilliant night out. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant night be. out of Soho. Yeah. No, I yeah. love it there. Yeah. Can be a very good But night. not for the reasons you're thinking of, you dirty little bugger. But no, 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 uh, no. There were some good, it, good pubs and bars, and it really pubs is, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. around there, definitely. Anyway, swiftly moving on. Um, I should say that we've had a few uh, emails in. You know, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about embarrassing stories. Uh, we've had a couple in. I just want to read these out. Uh, I will say though, no video yet uh, from anybody. So, you know, a bit disappointing. But you know, what are you going to do? We were kind of hoping for some, but. You know, you've let us down, but we'll let it go. Anyway, um, this one is from Nikki Fawkes, and she sent us a couple of stories. 
Just going to read the one out. This one's for you, Paul. It says, uh, one for Paul, because he's such a poorly lad. I had a patient, uh, had a patient, old retired GP, who sadly passed away at the grand old age of 105 years. In his working days in a local GP practice, they had a new patient move to the area and register with them. The paper notes arrived and in the top right corner, in pencil, someone had written T-A-T-S-P. All through the surgery, oh sorry, all through the morning surgery, he racked his brains as to what it meant. And he went to make a coffee and the senior partner came in and asked if everything was okay. On explaining about the uh, T-A-S-T-P, T-A-P-S-P, the senior partner <laughs> said, oh, that's easy. Thick as two short planks. Mm. Says the moral is, be careful what you say to your doctor in the future. That that was very, very common, actually, uh, yeah. up until about the mid-90s. That uh, um, uh, uh, it was before my time, but that people would write consultants as well, doctors, uh, uh, abbreviations in the top right hand corner of notes, and they were very rude and derogatory to to, to the to the patients. You know uh, that that's a that's a polite one that Nikki's brought up. <laughs> so. Very early in my career, I was a debt collector for a few years. Um, it was kind of tough going because it was in the South Wales Valleys during the miners' strike. Mm, and we, we had our own shorthand on our client notes. Um, one which appeared an awful lot was TAS. And I, I'd only just started there and I had no idea what it meant until one day someone told me it means thick as shit. Mm, mm. <laughs> they used to write that about half the bloody clientele. <laughs> yeah. It was a rough old job, that was. I just get that written it. in the top corner of my envelopes. Yeah. <laughs> hmm, yeah. Makes sense, and we've had another one from Dave Hamner who says uh, I can totally relate to Darren's episode with the white spirit he said last summer I went for a long walk on a hot day due to the distance and the heat I'd been sweating quite a bit and therefore was somewhat sore down around the nether regions he said when I got home I had a shower afterwards to help relieve the soreness I applied a liberal dose of Vaseline to my sore bits after a few seconds, I began to feel a tingling sensation. <laughs> Obviously put it down to soreness. Unfortunately, after a minute or so, the pain was so unbearable, my bits were on fire. I rushed back upstairs, stripped off and jumped back in the shower. It took minutes of washing and dousing with cold water to quell the flames. It was only when I got out of the shower and looked at the jar of Vaseline that I discovered it was actually a jar of Vicks Mental Vapor Rub. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh dear, dear, oh dear. That reminds me of a story. Oh. I, I, went, I went ski with a mate of mine and we were sharing a room and he's very guttural. So uh, he, he, he loved, small room, and he loved to trump in this room. He's a big, tall lad. So when he trumped, he trumped. So I had to keep running out onto the veranda. And he came out of the bathroom, but bent over, but naked. Show me his backside. This is what do you think of that? So I got a can of deodorant and sprayed it <laughs> all over his bum and the bits between. And he went, "What have you done?" And I said, uh, I "Sprayed you with this deodorant." He says, "I'm allergic to it. I'm allergic to it." So he had to <laughs> run back in the shower and spray it and clean himself off, wash himself, and then all night while we're in the pub, he's like squirming about. <laughs> so that serves you right, doesn't it? <laughs> oh dear. So thank you for those anyway. Um, and it, please keep sending them in. And if you've got any questions, I think we've had one question via email, but we will uh, come back to that. 
Uh, that's from, uh, just let you know, Ted Dewhurst, and we are coming back to you on that. And if anyone else wants to send in any questions or funny stories or videos or whatever, feel free. The uh, email will be in the, uh, in the link below. Uh, anyway, moving on, shall we talk about a subject? So this is another one that, that's come from the excellent set of questions that you guys have, have given us. Uh, and this one... Oh, God, I had it there. No. Ah, here we go. Right, okay. And this one's from uh, Ken Powell. And he says, If you were commissioned to go to another country, for instance, Cambodia, and capture life in that country without doing any landscape photography, which genre of photography would you choose and why? So, anybody fancy a, a crack at that first up? <laughs> well, I think it's going to be pretty obvious for me. So, why don't you go, Gal? Go on. Well, I would go to, what? I don't know, I'm not sure where. I've said this before, probably North Korea, if I wasn't, I didn't, you know, scared to never come back, but somewhere like that, uh, somewhere around that region, possibly. Um, I'd like to do sort of maybe sort of bit of candid street photography, maybe some photojournalism, just try and capture life as it is, yeah. you know, in these places. Because especially somewhere, you know, I got in trouble for saying this on a Q&A before because someone said that you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be so, uh, you know, judgmental of somewhere. But I'm not sure that maybe North Korea is actually as it's portrayed, let's put it that way, in the, uh, by the North Koreans and in the, in the mainstream media. And I'd just like to go there and capture the real essence of the place. So, yeah, I think for me it would be a bit of photojournalism. And what do you think of... North Korea is like then? What are you picturing? Something like at the Wizard of Oz? No, I just think, I, no, I just think that it's a, it's a lot more... Uh, I'm not saying it's like... <laughs> I'm not saying it's... it's... Oompa loompa. <laughs> no, no, what I'm saying is, is that I think that it's probably a very normal place where a lot of very normal things go on. But all we tend to see from North Korean mainstream media is either, you know, uh, Kim Jong-un or, or, or large military parades. I think I'd just like to capture what, what, it's, yeah. what it's really like, just the normal everyday life there. Because I'd imagine that there's probably lots of that that we could relate to here. You know, not necessarily what they're doing, but the reasons they're doing it and family life and mm. all the same things that go on probably here go on over there. Yeah, I think a lot of people's worries and stresses are, are the same universal, aren't they, really? Yeah. I think I think mm. the North Koreans are a little bit more stressed than others. I mean, if you read what if you read Amnesty International's uh, stuff, it's absolutely dire what, what what goes on in North Korea. I mean, you know, children dying in the streets and uh, uh, people being pulled out of the houses and mass starvation. So I mean, uh, I think I think it would be fascinating, but I think it would be heartbreaking. Mm. Um, no doubt, uh, re no doubt. Re really heartbreaking. It's a it's a dreadful mm. country. Dreadful well, I look at, I look uh, at Syria, mate. You know the, mm, the news reports thing. coming out of Syria where same people, thing. you know, the women are selling their kidneys and they're selling their children. Mm. You know, they're selling one child off to feed the other children. Mm. It's it's just so sad. Mm. You know. Yeah, it is. It, 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 I think it's the term first world problems. I mean, we worry about stuff, but uh, these people, uh, these people have it rough, don't they? Definitely. 
Sorry to bring a downer on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thanks for watching. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of a difficult question though to answer because if you're going to reflect a country, you've kind of got two choices. You're either going to photograph the country or the people, and so you know to answer a question, well, what genre? I guess if we're not allowed to do landscapes, we're all shooting people in some format or other um i suppose i mean there are some that would actually interest me though specifically what well, two in particular but one would require some sort of landscape photography uh but one would be to uh go to rio de janeiro and do some work in the favelas because i think it's such another worldly way to live these little corrugated iron shacks mm plastered up a hillside and I think it would be a challenge to manage to get out of there still owning a camera um, but that that would interest me I think being able to go into people's homes and see how they live in that sort of scenario because they're literally right next door to phenomenal wealth mm. um, so there's that one another one that <clears throat> certainly would have interested me although it's sort of all over now by the shouting but if something occurred similarly um, the volcano on uh, La Palma, Cumbre Vieja, and so, as I say, to some degree, there would be landscapes, but some of the shots that I've seen of uh, buildings completely, or not completely, but with just roofs and chimneys and small features sticking out of the volcanic ash. But the thing about the way the ash falls, and particularly because it's a very windy environment, it's all really smooth, like sort of sand dunes. So you've got these dark grey sand dunes with, you know, little adobe and terracotta tiles sticking out of them and that sort of thing. Um, and, and from a photojournalistic standpoint, you know, people packing up their cats and a suitcase and getting out fast. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen more from there, not, not in a prurient fashion but just you know as an interesting um piece of reportage if you like I, I i sort of have this thing where one day when somebody says or when i hear on the news oh there's a volcano going off and i'm kind of got my fingers crossed that it's vesuvius is to jump on a plane with a camera and go take some pictures of it because i've always wanted to see i'm not interested in Hawaiian-style um, slow basaltic lava. I mean, that's easy enough. Go to Iceland, stand around, there'll be some lava. I'm interested in something explosive, but also something that interacts with uh, an environment in, in a catastrophic way, I suppose, because I think it would make some, you know, quite interesting photography. But it's landscape, so sorry about that. Close enough. Mm, that's well, good. I'll tell you where else I want to be interested in now. I'll <clears> go back to you two in a sec. Going somewhere like Aleppo in Syria where it's been bombed to shreds. And I know it's it's kind of macabre, really, thinking about going and doing it. But from just from uh, letting the eyes of the world see what that place is like now, could you imagine walking through the streets of, of Aleppo with all of the, you know, the total devastation of a once sort of thriving city that must be you know that must be something to behold as well mm. Mm. i think the thing is with these sort of situations of course that 
when it's actually happening, the cameras are there, you know, the news crews are there, the braver ones. Um, but if you wind it forward, kind of, as you say, like Aleppo, 18 months, two years on, to then go back and see how people are adapting, because people still live there, but at the moment they're not, I understand, to the same extent under fire as they were. And I think that kind of retrospective view of, well, how is life there now, would be really interesting because you don't see that. You know, Sky News don't bother with it once the, you know, the chemical munitions have all gone. Mm. That shows the power of a camera, doesn't it? The power of the photography or the photographer to really capture something, really bring it home to everyone else is, you know, somewhere like that or like you say, somewhere where there's a, a volcano going off, somewhere where there's a disaster happening. To really put that into people's living rooms almost is is sort of unbelievable. What about you, Paul? What would you take photos of and where? I think I think if it was forty years ago, the photojournalism thing, but uh, would possibly interest me because I would, I would have been naive and not seen the things that I've seen. But now I won't want to do anything depressing. So for me, it's it'd be boring. It'd be most probably go back to America and uh, shoot black and white uh, in cliche place like New York street photography. Find some interesting places to go and shoot, and then get out into Hicksville in America and shoot uh, uh, the old film style portrait type stuff. Uh, um, with uh, the old diners and the old cars and things like that. And possibly Cuba, because uh, it, 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 you struggle to find uh, those old cars and everything in America now. But um, I have been to Cuba, but unfortunately I was in, a, in an encampment. <laughs> no, it wasn't Guantanamo Bay. Uh, but it was like a Butlins resort, and you couldn't really get out of it, so it was dreadful. But I did manage to get to Havana, and Havana was really, really interesting, but I didn't have my camera with me. So, yeah, that, 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 that would interest me. Who, who was that guy that, that Thomas Heaton uh, had a talk with who took photos of diners? I'm the, he's, he, he's uh, I, I can't remember his name. That's, uh, yeah. Somebody will who's watching. But yeah, I love his, I love his work. Mm. But he, he's very much influenced by, by uh, um, this guy. I'll just give me a minute and I'll just show you a quick picture. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 You're going to ask me who he is, but I'm, I've got COVID brain. But he was really, really unpopular for, for years because he started taking colour colour film photography when he wasn't popular when black and white was the thing and now he's he's really really famous and uh, what I love is, is he uses a colour palette so you know blues versus yellows and stuff like that um, so it's that type of thing that I'd like to shoot but mm. that guy very much influences the guy that you're talking about there's Gary nodding sagely, thinking about Big Macs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I love that. I love that. Uh, uh, I love that picture. I love all his work. But it's now become popular, uh, and I like to look at unpopular stuff and stuff that people don't do. <laughs> so I keep it quiet. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a guy um, uh, on Twitter, Henri, Henri somebody. Oh God, we're we're doing great tonight, aren't we? There's a guy that names, yeah. <laughs> there's a guy that that spoke to um, Thomas Heaton, who was inspired by another guy that you showed the picture of that we don't know, and That's then right. another guy that we don't know called Henri, someone who does these really fantastic sort of uh, nightscapes with with people in very it's a very film look, 
and it's absolutely fantastic I'll, I'll find his details and stick them in the in the link below but yeah that sort of thing's really interesting uh, what about what about paul if you could go maybe to america take some shots and then go back in say 20 years time yeah and then take those that same place again to see how it's changed that, that would be fascinating and that's the frustrating yeah. thing because i lived in america for two and a half years and i took pictures but nothing nothing like that because i at hindsight's a great thing that guy that that, that picture is he, he's called william eggleston by the way that picture that i showed you so i've just had a had a look yeah yeah it, it would be brilliant uh, and i'm just thinking that when i lived there was the very early 90s and uh, all the old cars were still running around and uh, i went to some fascinating places um uh, um uh, like baton rouge and, and new orleans but not the touristy bits the bits where the airports were and, and you'd go out and you'd go out to go and get a big mac or a whataburger or something so i, I drove through these these uh, um, uh, um, suburbs uh, uh, very, very much um, proper America and just took you for granted. And as you say, I took pictures of me smiling at airports and in front of planes, but not, not of uh, the, the stuff that I would find interesting now. I think yeah. that, that's a, a, an interesting topic though, isn't it? Because we've all been to places when we were younger where we weren't photographers. I mean, I, 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 like you, Paul, you know, I've been to the States and I, I spent time in California, uh, up in the Eastern Sierras, right in Ansel Adams country. Mm. Um, and I, I didn't have a camera. I mean, no. what was I thinking? <laughs> Hindsight's a great thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, as it happens, I did have a trip, uh, sort of booked, uh, with a chap that lives just north of San Francisco in Marin County. And he'd been out with Darren and I for a trip up the Glidders, a chap called Jeff Ogden, the nicest Lovely guy you could wish really to nice meet. Really nice guy. And um, <clears throat> so I got in touch with him and said, because there's a gold rush uh, town, ghost town, up near the Nevada border, north of Mono Lake. And I've been there, uh, again, without a camera. And Jeff posted a few pictures from there, and it reminded me, I thought, oh, I'd love to go back with a camera. So I got hold of him and said, if I fly into San Francisco, do you fancy a few days road trip? We'll just, you know, crash in motels, take the cameras and mosey around the other side of the Sierra Nevadas from the Yosemite side. So we'd go over onto the, the eastern side. Um, and, and it was, yet yeah, we'll do that, we'll sort it out. We kind of had some rough dates penciled in and then this global pandemic, pandemic thing happened. Mm. So that's still on the cards. And I tell you what, I can't wait. I mean, quite apart from a road trip with motels and, you know, but out there with a camera, with a, with a nice guy and who's also a very good photographer. What a trip. So I'm looking forward to that one. I'd even be prepared to wear a mask for 13 hours in the plane for that. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I could understand it. It sounds sounds exciting. If you need anybody to carry your bags, David, let me know. Definitely, <laughs> mate. If you're up for it, you'd be more yeah. than welcome, I'm yeah, sure. Sounds, sounds awesome. So what about you, Darren? What would you do, mate? Uh, well, to be honest with you, nothing as exciting as, as you guys. I mean, I've been sitting here patiently listening to you, and I think all of your topics are very kind of well thought out and uh, quite interesting to listen to. But... I mean, I'm going to be quite boring, and I'd just like to go to Scotland and photograph a red squirrel. I'd be, I'd be happy with that. I, I know we, 
No, I mean, I know we yeah, spoke a, a, a little while ago, I think it's something on the bucket list, and if it was your last photo, I think that the question was, and I said, for me, you know, I would definitely then go uh, on safari and, and, and try and photograph, you know, like a like a lion or, or, a, or a, an alligator or a crocodile or something, and, you know, something I can really remember. But I, I, I've also... You know, I'd really like to take photos of, of animals in the snow. You know, I always quite like the snowy conditions, especially when you get something, you know, like a red squirrel that's really kind of contrasty. Or um, I'm not too sure what the uh, what the what the animals' names are. Um, is that musk musk muskox? Um, you know, they're very dark against the snow. So yeah, I think you know it, it'd be something along them lines i think for me mm. i think i couldn't do landscape and i could travel for something like that yeah because i like this i mean most of us being a landscape photographers we quite enjoy the snowy conditions anyway really so to, so to combine kind of cold wintry snowy landscapes with with animals yeah that'd be pretty cool that's not boring at all that sounds really interesting mm. it does thank yeah. you mm. Yeah, it's not as quite as good as kind of North Korea and uh, Dave's kind of first topic. I thought that was... Uh, yeah, but I think, that... I think you've got far more chances of getting um, out in the snow and showing a, shooting a red squirrel than going to North Korea. Absolutely. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah. no trouble finding some ginger hair in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave's not even on the whiskey. I know, it's shocking, isn't it? Well, he's, uh, you don't know what's in that orange juice, do we? <laughs> No, that's true. Probably more whiskey. <laughs> I would. Lo I'd love to go to um, to Scotland and, and capture some of those uh, stags. Yeah, know, up around there because they seem yeah. incredibly tame. And I'd imagine you could get some just is, fantastic is you, shots. Have you seen the cliche shots? There's a stag in there up. Um, uh, is it Glenative? Is it uh, where they filmed um, Skyfall? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and everybody gets a picture of it, and um, and I thought, yeah, I saw them, and everybody was taking pictures of it when I went down there, and I was more interested in the Skyfall shot, so I'm just as cliche, aren't I, as the people <laughs> taking pictures of the stag. Uh, but the thing um, is, we're we're all getting to an age where a stag weekend has got a completely different <laughs> meaning, hasn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. it. Because I, I I would I totally be with you on that one, Gary. Oh. The other sort of stag weekend, no, thank you. No, no, no. Uh, um, it was fascinating, though, because uh, up at Scotland, twice uh, um, in the middle of the night when I was driving to locations, stags jumped out in front of the front of the van. Mm. Mm. But, but beautiful, beautiful animals and huge, you know. Uh, mm. uh, a, I was glad that I didn't hit them because I wouldn't want to hurt them, but B, also they'd written the car off. Was that when you were in your camper van? It was. Yeah, I went up. I went up three times up to. to, to That's Scotland. really funny because YouTube offered me that video to watch this week, so did I did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and yeah. then because I'd watched that, I suppose they offered me the Gordale Scar one as well. Oh, right. So <laughs> I watched that. So uh, yeah, I had. No a, wonder you were on the whiskey. <laughs> I've had a Sartori fest this week. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. No wonder you got drunk. <laughs> Talking about stag weekends, I'm, I'm booking Butlins this year. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I am. Which Getting one? Back, uh, well, I think Skeggy. Right. I think we're going Skeggy on an, on a, on an 80s weekend. So yeah. yeah, I know, I know. I can see Dave looking like, what are you thinking? I but, was thinking, you're, you're not that old. 80s? 
Well, you, do you know it's it's funny, right? You don't think you're that old. Because in June the 80s, I think I was 17. Oh, during the 80s. You meant 80s year oh, old. Okay. Oh, 80s. I get you. Oh, very yeah. funny. Yeah. Very funny. Huh? No, that just went straight over my head. <laughs> I, I just I, let you go with it. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm reliving. I think I'm having a midlife crisis because I've also booked to go and watch Liam Gallagher in June as well. So, so yeah. So uh, Liam Gallagher and Butlins, you know, can't be bad, can it? Can't be bad. See, if I went on one of those nostalgia weekend thingies, it would have to be the seventies. I mean, you know, that's the thing. That was sort of. Arse end of the 70s was me. I still do them, mate. Disco Inferno weekend. Get yeah, you down there. No, I, I won't be taking them up on it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no danger of that I whatsoever. Mean, I mean, sometimes nostalgia is really good, but sometimes things are better left in the past, aren't they? I, I tell you yeah. something, Paul, right? I tell you, I went about three or four years ago and on, on the bill was Johnny Hates Jazz. Do you remember Johnny yeah, Hates I Jazz? I used to really love right? Johnny Hates yeah. Jazz. Yes, I used to love Johnny Hates Jazz. Right yeah. until I realised that Johnny Hates Jazz only had four songs, and they did, <laughs> and they did a set of twelve or thirteen, and, and I was like, dire. "What is this shite? <laughs> yeah. What has happened?" You know, yeah. like I remember, like turn back the clock and another one, and I was like, "Oh, they're good songs." And then they played these like other thirteen songs that I'd never heard of, <laughs> and I was like, "Jesus Christ!" Jason Donovan as well. Yeah. I went to see as well, and he didn't have any good songs. So you can imagine how bad that one was. Yeah. He was good in musicals, though. He was good in musicals. Funnily enough, he didn't do the musical stuff. He didn't do the musical. No, no, no. But I've got to say, the best thing if 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 you ever go, it's the, it's such a nice atmosphere. It when you go out in like I know I'm getting old now, but say knock it back sort of five five ten years. I used to go out into into town and have a drink. You know, and there's always an undercurrent. There's always Mm. like a little bit of sort of you can feel there's trouble. You know, even if you didn't get into any trouble yourself, you could feel that it was there. You go to Butlins, there's no trouble at all. Like, literally, everyone is there just to have a good laugh. Like, you get it's the funniest thing. You get there, right? Get there for about two o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and you walk into the main sort of, you know, dome bit where everyone's having a beer, and you look at all these people dressed up in the most ridiculous fancy dress, and you think, what a bunch of idiots, right? Five beers time at about two forty. <laughs> you're like, these guys are the fun. Look at these funny guys in their fancy dress. I can't believe it. And by by seven o'clock, you're doing it yourself. And there's no like all the guys. They're all happy to talk to each other. There's no sort of. There's no. And it's just brilliant. It's just a fantastic weekend. Really good. Oh, I thoroughly recommend fun. it. Sounds it great is, fun. It is really you good fun. Sit, let, let your hair down and, yeah. and relax in a safe environment with a group of people, uh, yeah. of your peers. There's nothing better, is there? Exactly. Yeah. Paul, is this your first pub car since you turned 50? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it I is. Th- I yeah. think it yeah. is, actually. I was turning 50, wasn't I, on the, mm. on the Saturday, yeah. Because I remember... the day before. Yeah, the, yeah, it was the Friday, and then you had... You was Man City, was it That's Man it. City versus Liverpool, was it? Chelsea. Chelsea, yeah. sorry, yeah, and you won 1-0, one one nil, 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 yeah. Because I think you predicted 3-1. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you had the, the win. Yeah, uh, it was it was a great match. It's great to see people like Kanti and Lukaku as well. Chelsea are a good side. 
Yeah. So how, how was your birthday weekend? Did it, it was live up absolutely to brilliant. It was so funny. It was what what um, Gary was saying. We obviously we went to the match, and then we went out with friends in the evening. Now we were my wife was going to uh, have a big surprise fiftieth birthday party, but Omnicron put paid to that because people were scared of coming, and then mm. people couldn't come and stuff like that. So we, we were postponing until maybe uh, August time and have a barbecue. But so we only had a small gathering with with, with uh, my close friends. And it was a lovely restaurant and a really safe environment. And it was just like what uh, Gary was saying, you know, there was no trouble it's, and uh, food was brilliant and the wine was gorgeous and it was a really, really good day. Thanks for asking. Excellent. Oh, yeah. that was good, mate, yeah. yeah. Luckily, I was, no one was poorly. It was, it, it, the, the children started the week after. Oh, did they? <laughs> Yeah. Unlucky with your FA Cup fifth round draw, mate. I'm sorry about that. You know. Who are they playing? Peterborough. Oh, that's right. Yeah, mate, Matt, Matt said. Yeah, that'll be good. Is that your team? Yeah, that's my team for my sins, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, it'll be a good match. Yeah, 10-0, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. Never mind, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of that. Enough of that. I don't yeah. want to talk about Peterborough. Literally, every Saturday, I watch Peterborough, and it just makes me so depressed. Yeah. Like I just like get to Saturday evening or Wednesday evening if we play after the game, and I'm just like, what, what is, what's the point of my life, man? Honestly, yeah. it's just oh, so terrible. I know, anyway. I know the feeling. My, my dad, my dad's a Notts County fan, or he was. So that I used to go with him for years to Notts County, and yeah. you know, every every time we went, it was just depressing. And yeah, they lost every time. It was just I know awful. it's, yeah. it's, it's terrible. Honestly, that was the best thing that ever happened to me was stop following football. <laughs> And I know it sounds like a joke, but it wasn't. I really, I truly mean that because I was such a, like a passionate football fan. You know, I support Arsenal and I still do. But I used to go, you know, to Highbury as a kid, you know, queue up at the turnstile at Highbury, you know, go there every kind of Saturday. Um, and then later on in life, you know, I, was, I couldn't get to the games as much because I was watching, but I used to, uh, you know, watch every game on the on the TV, you know, and then I'd go to bed of a night, like midweek, um, I couldn't go to sleep because I'd be thinking, oh, you know, we let that, we conceded that goal and, you know, we could have got a point there or we could have got three points, we didn't get that, you know, but we drew instead and... And and in the end, literally, it was almost affecting my health because I felt anxious the whole time. I couldn't watch a football game live. I'd want to see the result before I even watched the game. So if Arsenal won, say, 3-1, wow. I could watch that game then and relax. If I was watching it live, I remember the last game I watched like live that I got, it was almost the the, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. It was the FA Cup final against Hull when Arsenal ended up winning 3-2. Oh, but yeah. we was 2-0 we was down. And I felt physically sick. My stomach was... And in the end, I just thought, Why, what are you doing this to yourself for? Mm. And I just thought, you know what? I'm not going to watch any football next year. And that was about five years ago. And it feels great waking up in the morning now, watching people go, oh, like last night. And I said, what was the score? Mm. Oh, Arsenal lost, you know, kind of 3-0. And I think, oh, did they? Mm. Mm. It's, it's great. So it does make you wonder, sorry, Gal, it does make yeah. you wonder why you torture yourself so much over a game of football. <laughs> well, you see, the difference is for you is that you support a team that are likely to win the odd game. Yeah. You see, I support a team that in this league that we're in now, I just literally watch the game and go, yeah, we've lost. Before yeah. we even start, we played Cardiff on, on, on Wednesday. Well, they scored in the fourth minute. 
and I said to my daughter, who's like you, she's like lives or live, you know, like you were, she lives every moment. And I said, we've lost this now. Mm. It's like, well, there's only one goal. And I'm like, no, listen, we've lost this now. Mm. Four nil, four nil in the end. Mm. So yeah, happy days. I mean, that's, but, um, that's what I like about City and the City supporters is, is they've followed them year in, year out and they were absolutely dire. Well, they were dire, they were great, but, uh, you know, uh, but they weren't what they are now because they've mm. got the money. Uh, 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 and and you still see that element when you go to the matches. Those hardcore week in week out supporters. Yeah, uh, they're not the the, the the obviously the new breed. And uh, you know, yeah, they had the hard times where they were in Division Two and then Division One, and then mm-hmm. uh, they were below the Premiership. And you know, uh, now they're, they're riding high. But you know, uh, 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 so I think I think disappointment and football go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah, Laura Davidson returns definitely. Yeah. Be interested to see how Newcastle do now that they're going to have a load of money pumped into them. Mm. It will. It definitely will. I think they'll be all right, actually, Newcastle. Mm. Dave, you got any input on this one? Yeah, I've got no interest in young boys running about all sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you've changed your tune. He doth protest too much. (laughs) It's not what he said before the podcast, (laughs) was it? No, uh, to be fair, I, I, I was a football fan. I, you know, I supported Leeds United because when I was a kid and came home from school uh, in mid Wales, where we hadn't, it was one of those football black spots. Uh, and and um, I said to my mum, who should I support? And she was from West Yorkshire. She said, Leeds United, son. I've never forgiven her. Where was your mum from, David? Liversidge. Ah, right. It's not too uh, not That far, neck of the woods. Yeah. Um, and then when I lived in Cardiff for about uh, 10 years, I had a season ticket because it was local football. So they're kind of a second team. Um, or when Leeds play Cardiff, on, you know, or back when they used to play Cardiff, I used to support Leeds. I couldn't care less anymore. Mm. It was about five or six years ago. Not, I, I mean, I was never like Darren at all, not remotely. But at the same time, I was just sort of thinking... Well, it's just a bunch of young boys running about. Why should I care? I, I've got no interest in them at all. They're all pathetic. <laughs> they, they, they roll about as quick as look at them. And, and I just thought, what a, what a time sink. So I, I, I just gave it up. You know, I cold turkeyed, <laughs> mm. a bit like Darren, and that, and that was it. Um, and I, I just got no interest in it. Well, I have no idea... Any of the players, I've no idea. I mean, if you hadn't told me that Cardiff City beat Peterborough 4-0, no idea, don't care. Oh, oh, mate, don't don't rub it in. No, well, (laughs) (laughs) come on, the Bluebirds. But but no, seriously, I I just thought it's it's just, why should, you know, you've got lads that go around kicking cats. You know, Mm, these are people with no brains and too much money. But but they're, they're all retards. I mean, every so often there's there's one who's got some education and he stands out. People go, oh, yeah, you know, that, what was his name? Graham Lasso. Oh, yeah, he's quite well educated and this, that and the other. As if, like, he's a, he's a diamond in a pile of sheep shit. And yeah, but I think you've got to think that. I mean, I'm sticking up from now, but I think the majority, you know, they are very young, you know, especially mm. at the Exactly, which is why I couldn't care less in... what they get up to on a Saturday. Yeah, they get I thrown mean, into the limelight, you know, I, at such a, a no, young but age mate, now. I, if, if there was a bunch of boys playing football in the local park and I was walking the dog, I wouldn't go, oh, there's some young boys sweating around kicking a ball. So mm. why should I do it with people that are getting paid 200 grand a week? 
makes no sense. Can we just start saying men rather than young boys? I'm but they are very, young boys. I'm feeling very uncomfortable. They're not men. The minute they turn into men, they're too old and they have to retire. <laughs> what, what is in that orange juice, Dave? <laughs> Nothing. Common sense. <laughs> the cream of some young guy. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to say that I actually work with uh, quite, a, quite a few football clubs and I work with quite a few premiership players and uh, that I've met have been to a tee. Uh, really nice, genuine lads. Oh, and, fair uh, enough. Then. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, but I mean, I've not met them all, and and, and a, a lot of them, a lot of them know that, that, that they're fortunate. They know that they're gifted, but the, it's not gone to their heads. So I mean, you know, you pull into the car park, and they're all um, um, Mercedes G wagons and Aston Martins and Porsches, and they go through leases, so that they'll all get one. One will get one car, and then they'll all come in with one uh, a couple of months later. But they're all, how are you doing? And how, how's your family? And how's your kid? And then, you know, my lad uh, uh, wants to be a goalkeeper and uh, one of the premiership uh, goalkeepers who plays for England. I said to him, do you mind? He's there in his, just in his shorts. I said, do you mind uh, uh, just writing, uh, putting, scribbling his signature down? And he wrote a big long ditty for him and, and, and put his signature on and says, I hope you can become a great goalkeeper and I'll play with you one day. Lovely. So, you know, they are, they are, they are yeah. nice. nice. Some, some yeah. of them are nice. <laughs> yeah. I watched that. Uh, I'll, in case I'll, they watch. <laughs> I watched that All or Nothing that, uh, that was on Amazon and there was the, the Tottenham one and some of the guys on that they totally changed my view on, on football it's like you say there was yeah. the, you know Luke, Lucas Moira for instance you look at Lucas Moira as a footballer and you don't really have any interest in him you don't really care you know he's just another footballer but when you see the things that he's done in the community and the, and the way that he talks about his family and Look all at Marcus you, Rashford. Yeah, exactly. What you realise yeah. what actually they're they're really a lot of footballers are really, you know, top guys. You've got obviously yeah. some that are total scum, but you yeah. know you get that in every profession, I guess, don't you? Yeah, so. you do. You do. Okay, so moving on, uh, we've got a question here from Rob Outen, uh, friend of the uh, friend of the podcast, been on a couple of times, in fact. Um, he says, "I listen to a well-known American landscape photography podcast." And it's been mentioned several times about the nature first movement. Do you think that we should have a similar emphasis on being ambassadors for lands for the landscapes we shoot in the UK? What, what's what's the nature first by, movement? Yeah, what do you mean by ambassadors? Uh, I think nature context? first. Okay, so I think nature first is uh, it's a, an organisation, and I know it's over here because I'm pretty sure there's a couple of guys. Um, Paul Thompson and Tom Peters, who are Nature First ambassadors over here. I'm pretty sure it's an organisation that's set up to say, all right, go out and, you know, shoot landscapes, but be very aware of your surroundings, look after the environment, you know, leave as you find. Yeah. Don't don't mess around with the flora and fauna wherever you are. So I think that you know that is definitely um, an organisation that has a presence in the UK, and I think Rob's saying, do you think there should be more emphasis on it and that type of thing, looking after the environment while you're out right, taking well photos? Then, co correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm pretty sure people know people that are not quite uh, what I'm going to say. But do you not think that? Most people that shoot landscape photography are very respectful. I've met a lot more respectful photographers than I have 
disrespectful photographers, especially like when it comes to like wild camping. I mean, you know, there is Dave will know the saying, and other people may know the saying, or you know, but leave no trace. You know, you, you make sure that when you've cleared up every day, there is not a, a scrap. Uh, of uh, litter left anywhere you know the only thing you leave behind is a bit of flattened grass so uh, I, I mean do you know I mean apart from we know the kind of people and that sounds really bad when I said the, the kind of people but the people that was visiting Snowdonia or the Lake District wasn't typically uh, that wasn't typically their their normal holiday so they was perhaps not as respectful but I think most landscape photographers are quite respectful, don't you think? Mm. Yeah, I do. I agree. I think you tr you're preaching to the converted, and then the problem is is that the the ones that are unconverted are not going to listen to you anyway, are they? So uh, that's my take on it. But have you come across many, Paul? None, that are, none, no, that's none, what I'm saying. Not, I think not it's one. Uh, no. So I but think the, the, they're normally outdoorsy people, aren't they? So, uh, I mean, unless uh, uh, it, it, to go out and, uh, at five o'clock in the morning in a howling gale or in the snow to get a picture, you've got to be relatively outdoorsy anyway. So, you know, we all grew up with a countryside code and, you know, shut gates after you, don't light fires in areas where you can burn everything down. So I don't, I don't think it's the landscape photographers that, that are, the, are the problem desecrating uh, the countryside, at least the ones I've met. So... Are we saying then kind of nature first is more to try and educate other people rather than photographers or hikers? It must be, mustn't it? I can't really comment. I mean, uh, um, um, uh, I don't because I don't really know. what. The, uh, if it's the one that I think Ben Horn started, it's, uh, it, it is very uh, much about not leaving litter and yeah. maybe the places you find it. And yeah, it's a positive message. But as I say... Uh, uh, I think you're preaching to the people that already know it. So, but there's nothing wrong with them doing it. I think it's uh, because it will filter down, you know. And yeah. education is great, isn't it? My, my view on it is, I don't, I don't think there can be any harm in the existence of organisations like that because, if let's say, for instance, you become an ambassador as a photographer, like you say, Paul, you're probably preaching to the converted. But there may be, let's say, that one or two people who watch your channel don't have that point of view or maybe don't understand that it's not acceptable to do certain things if you're becoming a role model by being part of that group and and you know using their values and ethics when you're out and about shooting then it can't be a bad thing because maybe a couple of people might pick up something from it that maybe they didn't know or they you know they, they just didn't maybe understand before mm. Mm. i think it's kind of a bit virtue signally for my mm, liking mm. i mean I the bottom mean. line is that, that, that as paul has just pointed out and he's absolutely spot on it, it, you know if i was to say on on a video or whatever oh you know make sure you shut the gate make sure you you know you bury your poo um people say what the hell's he on about <laughs> of course i would you know nobody nobody that isn't likely to do that is is watching my stuff and overtly saying oh i'm i'm part of this and you might just mention it but then but what are you like wearing a badge you've got a logo or something i mean i just don't get the point of it, it it's mm. it's just it, i think it's virtue signaling mm. I, know, I know i know where you're coming from there david and the thing is 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 
it's a difficult one. It's this dichotomy for, uh, because we're talking about ecological preservation or environmental preservation, okay? As landscape photographers, we have to get to those locations. Unless you're walking or you're staying within a couple of miles and you only walk to your locations, then from an environmental point of view, uh, it's not the most environmental thing to do as a hobby to go out into the middle of nowhere in your cars and, uh, and pollute the atmosphere. <laughs> you know, and this is talking for, for somebody, and I've said before, I drive a three-litre Land Cruiser, so I would feel a little bit hypocritical if I was saying to people, well, you, I'm an ambassador and I'm driving up in a three-litre diesel Four by four. You understand me? Yes. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I know there are certain people that, that will only show, shoot in their local areas and won't go on a plane to go and shoot into Iceland because they believe vehemently that uh, they want to preserve the environment and that's hats, hats off to them. However, me personally, if I had the opportunity to go to Iceland or Norway, I would do to, to, to shoot. And then if I've got an ambassador's badge on that says nature first... Uh, 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 would I be coming? Would would would, would I be? Um, I would personally feel that maybe I, I'm being a little bit. Don't want to use the term hypocritical because I got criticised for that a couple of years ago on Twitter. Uh, 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 but it, 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 uh, how do I offset that um, from a from a, uh, an ethical point of view? It, 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 am I saying that if I say right, okay? make sure you don't tread on the heather and make sure that you respect the, 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 the flora and fauna. Uh, um, that's okay. Uh, but, um, but me driving up in my big car to the Lake District three times a week is, is okay as well. That's, that's, I, 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 it wouldn't sit comfortably with me. But, uh, you know, the, 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 most, most, most photographers don't trample over the heather. And most photographers don't go to Wisman's Woods and start pulling the moss off the trees. It's not us that's doing it, you know. Uh, and maybe, maybe if, if Nature First is is um, uh, trying to um, educate a wider audience, as you were saying, Gary, uh, then great, you know. But it would take one of those people to say to me, "Well, you're an ambassador, but I saw you uh, um, in." Uh, the P district, and you, you you were belching along in a in an old diesel four by four. So you you can talk. I think <laughs> so that's, that's a, where I, I'd struggle. I think that's an incredibly good point. I've got to mm. say, and I think that I think maybe having the the same ideals as Nature First has is the way to go. Mm, I think I if you, I think if you're wearing if you're wearing the nature first ambassadorship as a badge of honor, then that's, that's kind of, that's a whole different kettle of fish, I think. But if you're, like you say, you can't, I don't, I don't think you can say, I, I don't think any landscape photographer can say, I really care about the environment and then drive off in whatever car they've got 200 miles to go and take a photo because clearly you are expelling gas and you know and fumes into the environment by going off and traveling for your hobby so that's a massively that's a really good point mm. i think yeah, if, yeah, when, yeah, when you yeah, get but, there yeah. but when you get there if you say well when i get there do you know what i'm not gonna i'm not gonna trample all over the floor and fauna great then that's that's great you're 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 upholding their ideals aren't you I yeah, think you put it, still, you put it more eloquently still, than me yeah we can still right. care about the environment but we still have to 
to live with the means that we, that we live by. I mean, for argument's sake, I can't afford at the moment to go and spend yeah. 40 grand on, a, on, a, on an electric car. And it was only kind of 15 years ago we were told, you know, by the powers that be, that we had to buy diesel. Diesel mm -hmm. was the way to go. Absolutely. You know, but but the now, thing is, you've, you've opened another can of words there, Darren, because electric cars are incredibly environmentally unfriendly. I mean, they're the, 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 the digging up mines to get the uh, uh, stuff for the batteries at a rate of knots. Mm. Nobody's actually talked about how they're going to uh, dispose of these these batteries at the end of the day. And the, and, and the thing is, is as we can see with that, um, electricity bills going up, we've got to power these things anyway. So the only thing that it's not doing is is actually uh, releasing carbon carbon dioxide into the environment. Yeah, but the car, unless we were all running nuclear, which we've discussed this in the past, and it bored mm. people, or wind turbines, or, or 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 something else that was producing the electricity, that electricity's got to come from somewhere. So you know how how environmentally friendly are electric cars? I don't. I don't let's I, let's be honest. The most environmentally friendly thing we could do as a human is to die. Yeah. Well, yeah. The end of the day, they've got cremate, yeah, aren't they? And yeah, but it, <laughs> pumps, <laughs> pumps stuff into the environment. Every, everything we do, though, everything we do in life has a, has an impact on the environment. It just is because that's who we are. That's what we are as a, as a species. Yeah. So I think on a positive on a positive note, nature first. I think it's not going to do any harm. I think it's a great thing yeah. uh, for people to do. But for me personally, if somebody offered me uh, uh, an ambassadorship, which would be highly unlikely, I would turn around and say, "Well, I feel a bit of a hypocrite doing it." Not, not, not because I'm saying they are. I'm just saying I would personally. But yeah. I mean, I had this conversation uh, a couple of years ago, uh, and I used the term hypocritical because it was it was a famous landscape photographer which was talking to another landscape photographer about environmental issues. And the famous landscape photographer had been all over the world for the last forty years to Antarctica on numerous different occasions. Uh, pumping uh, uh, and his carbon footprint was massive. Now, it wasn't actually mentioned in the interview. So I said, well, isn't that a bit hypocritical? And um, uh, I, got, I got slated for, for saying it, and that's why I don't go on social media anymore. Um, but um, uh, the guy who had been all over the world, actually on a separate interview with a good friend of mine, actually discussed how he'd neutralised his carbon footprint by uh, uh, planting trees for years and years and years and uh, uh, doing things to offset his carbon footprint and was, was honest about it. So, you know, I think as long as we're honest as, as photographers, what we're actually doing, and then maybe discuss how we're offsetting uh, any pollution that we're putting into the environment, then great. Mm. Sorry to go on. Anyway, um, sorry. We were going to move on, weren't we, and um, talk about something else. Now, Paul... Before we started, you said that you wanted to talk about cars. No, I was just interested in a bit like art. I'd have to. Is uh, <laughs> uh, what was your first car? Okay, what what was what was everyone's first car? Darren, what was your first car? Mine was a Triumph Dolomite. Mm. Is that it? That's what <laughs> <laughs> Was it? I've never been a car person. Cars have never interested me. My pet, my brother was a complete kind of petrol head, um, and I was never into cars at all. Have you got any interesting uh, stories about your car? Has anything, anything ever interesting happened with you and a car? 
going well, this. <laughs> well, I thought the question was a good one. I mean... No? No, well, it, no, no, there's nothing wrong with the question. It was just the question was, what was your first car? Yeah, but okay, well, expand on that. Have you ever had any? Have you got a funny story to share with us about a car? Well, I have to say, it's been it's been lovely doing the podcast with you guys uh, over over the time. But um, yeah, what about you, Dave? What was your first car? It was a Datsun Cherry. <gasps> I had one of them. A Datsun Cherry. Yeah. It wow. was all I could afford. I was so broke. And I, I, I saved up for weeks, bought this car, was so chuffed with it. And two weeks later, I wrapped it around a telegraph pole. <laughs> I was lucky to walk away from it because in those days, cars were made out of tissue, paper and spit. <laughs> Datsun Cherries were quite, were, were quite strong cars, though. They were. I could say it saved my life, but I killed the car, so it was entirely <laughs> my fault. Uh, yeah, I was just going too fast, got in a bit of a muddle, uh, wrapped it round a pole. I mean, it, it literally was wrapped round it, but it was on the passenger side. So um, I, where I was sat, I was all right. But I, I, I emulated it some years later, by which stage I was driving a BMW. And, uh, well, I say I, I was driving it, but my wife at the time owned it. She got this car. It was her pride and joy. I was allowed to drive it, and I wrapped it around a tree in exactly the same fashion. So that didn't go down too well. I can imagine. <laughs> what about you, Paul? What was your first car then? Triumph Acclaim. Yeah. So that was the Honda Ballard or Honda Accord um, uh, copy that Triumph made. Did yeah, you wrap it around a tree? Or? No, no, no. I didn't keep it very long. I, got, uh, I, I traded it in for an XR3i. It was, it was, uh, so when, when, when we were kids, uh, uh, the, 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 the dream car was an XR3i, a Peugeot 205 GTI 1.9, or if you couldn't get one of those, a 1.6, or a Golf GTI. All the posh lads drove the uh, Golf GTI. Uh, 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 the uh, uh, ones that knew about cars drove the Peugeot 205 GTI uh, and the Chavs drove the XR3i and I had an XR3i <laughs> and loved it. I mean, the thing is, in those days, insurance was less of an issue. So when it you was. were a youngster, you, you, you know, you could drive around in something that you shouldn't have been. Well, that's it. It's funny because my the insurance for, for my XR3, I remember, was 600 quid third party fire and theft, and that was back in 1989. Yeah, But I went, I went to, I sold it, went to America. When I came back three years later, I was uh, 22, 21, 22, I couldn't get insurance on them because it had gone through the roof. Couldn't get insurance on a uh, 205, couldn't get because I wanted one or a Golf. Uh, or the XR3i, so I ended up buying an old like, old man's car, which was a Honda Accord, and I drove Honda Accords then. I had five of them, so they were just brilliant, really comfortable. I had trouble getting insurance, but for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> arguments yeah. with trees. You needed to move to Iceland, because there's no trees on Iceland. You would have been all right. I would have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you what is absolutely soul-destroying, right? When I was a kid, the car that I was desperate to have when I when I grew up was a was a Sierra Cosworth, 
a Ford Sierra Cosworth with a back spoiler. Have you seen them? Have you looked at yeah. one now? I've driven one. Yeah. Have you, yeah, but have you looked at one recently? They are the worst looking cars <laughs> you have ever seen in your life. It's like it's like the car version of Monkey. Do you remember Monkey watching Monkey <laughs> as a kid? And you thought Monkey was the best program on telly. It was. <laughs> You know, and you watch you watch the episode of Monkey. They brought it back once. They bring back Monkey. They brought it, absolute crap. The worst television I've ever seen. So Sierra Cosworth is is the version of Monkey. But I had um my very first car was a Mini Moke. Oh. A Moke. Yeah, a Mini Moke that my dad bought for me from an auction. Me and my brother, and we were going to do it all up and all that. And uh, and learn to drive in it. I didn't. He, he wasn't worried about you having doors or anything. No, no, no doors, nothing <laughs> like that. It was black, black mini moke. No, no, no roof, no doors. Like the the back of it was like planks of wood that you lifted up, so you could just sort of look underneath it. But um, I didn't learn to drive till two thousand ten. So I had this mini moke in the eighties, and then like never ever got round to driving it. Sold it before we did, but. Um, I think I told you a story about the golf uh, that my brother crashed three doors down, but I've got an, I've got a story about my f- second ever motorbike. So because I never passed my test, uh, my driving tester, I had motorbikes. So the first motorbike I had was a a Suzuki, I think it was a TS a TS fifty ER, but it had but you ready? It had an eighty kit on it, which apparently was a big deal back then. It's a, it's a TS50 with an 80 kit on it, which means it's essentially an 80. Anyway, uh, yeah, that was all right. But after that, I, I moved to moved to Luton to go to uni. And I got a job, left uni and got a job. And I needed transport. So I went down to the, the local motorbike store, if you like, which was... Uh, I, I swear that they told... Anyway, we'll get on to that. Bought this bike, which was a, a Honda... A Honda 125, but it was like... The, the, my Suzuki was a trials bike and this Honda was a road bike so it only turned like that much before you hit the before you hit the fuel tank so you had to it was you had to lean it around the corners because I'm a you know an idiot I was like oh no it'll be fine it'll be, be, to, be totally fine so I'm going to drive it to my mum's in Peterborough first day first day with this Honda driving it around um, I think it I think it was a CBR or something like that, but anyway, it was it was a road bike. Driving it around Luton, and I couldn't get it above forty. And I'm like, I've been sold. I've been sold an absolute dud here. Something's going on. And then I realised that my foot was resting on the foot brake, so it wasn't. <laughs> so I couldn't get it above forty, and the, the engine was. It's like it's not doing. Anyway, once I'd worked that out, once I'd worked that out, I'm flying. I'm I'm like, this is great. I'm no worries. Straight off to Peterborough, down the down the A1. I'm going to go through Hitchin. And I get to the A1 and it's going to be great. And uh, got to got to Hitchin and I'm sort of like I'm by this time I'm like I'm the best motorcyclist in the world. Come to the shallowest of bends, absolute the shallowest of bends. Took it too fast. Got halfway around it and thought I'm not going to make this bend because the bike just wouldn't turn. I got the concept of leaning, so I thought well I'll straighten up and I'll pull the brakes and everything will be fine. So I straightened the bike up and pulled the brakes and the bike started doing this. And then it threw me off. And I'm sort of, you know, somersaulting down the road, ended up on this grass verge, and everything was all like slow motion. And I could hear this bike going, 
and it landed on me and I got a big gash in my in my uh, stomach and a massive gash on my leg and this other cyclist who was coming the other way he turned around and it's like bloody hell I thought mate I thought you I thought you died then he said that you know he said uh, oh you know let's get you back up got my back up I had, I had the the, the, the uh, gear pedal had bent in the brakes weren't working so I sort of hobbled it back to Luton at about five miles an hour got it outside my house went in come out two hours later someone had nicked it <laughs> <laughs> wasn't insured wasn't insured didn't insure it idiot so at 600 quid I might as well have literally punched myself in the stomach scrap, kicked myself in the leg and just put 600 quid down the drain happy days Look yeah, on the so bright side. If the police had turned up, you'd have ended up with uh, a fine as well. So very least, true. Yeah. This is very yeah. true. But yeah. it, you know, this is back in the nineties. Police in Luton had a lot more things to do than <laughs> worry about me. You know, lack of insurance. Yeah, yeah. They didn't need to worry. And if anyone's watching from the police, that never happened. <laughs> so yeah. But you're right about monkey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, monkey. Terrible. Terrible TV. I thought it was great at the time. I thought it was absolutely the best TV ever, and it turned out to be absolutely god awful. Bit like this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. thing is, though, the thing is, is we're not going to get to twenty years on, and people are going to go, "Oh, let's watch the podcast again." No, we'll we'll all be forgotten within about three weeks. So, happy days. Have we talked about cars? Anyone else want to? Darren. Do you want to talk? <laughs> no, this is the worst topic ever. <laughs> I switched off. Sorry. <laughs> I was reading the label on the back of the Carlsberg tin. <laughs> I think the next the, the next question should be: What was your favourite character in Monkey? <laughs> P- Pixie, by the way, just in case you're interested. Pixie. <laughs> Yeah. Don't worry, everyone. Jamie will be back next week. So, uh, we'll <laughs> back to normal. <laughs> yeah, I've missed Jamie actually. Yeah. Really, have yeah, missed yeah. Jay. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's, been a, it's been a weird few weeks, actually, hasn't it, for us? Because we've been four now for like three weeks. And uh, it's been it's been a weird old weird old time with people not being about and illnesses yeah. and all sorts. So it'd be good to get the five of us back and um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know maybe Jamie can come up with some topics. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I think we'll see. Uh, you've missed all my topics, my rambling topics. What? So you you all laughed at me in the beginning, but now I'm not coming up with them. You see, yeah. well you've see now now you're struggling. I think you've got well, to I'm come just, up with sub Darren. I really yeah, do. Yeah, see, right, like literally now. <laughs> well hopefully in a couple of weeks me and Dave are doing a bit of wild camping in Snowdonia that'll be my return to to, to, to Wales for the first time in two years now can't oh. wait to get there yeah you think all that time I spent there in 2018 19 and then 2020 came along and Literally, kind of just stopped going. Where, where so, are you going? Whereabouts are you going? Dave's got a, a lovely route planned for us. We're going to climb the Glidders, but then we're going to head north. Oh. And we're going to go up on to probably somewhere around the summit of Carnivaliast. 
um, only because I'm a lazy git and I know there's a pond up there so we don't have to take any water up with us. Uh, but also, there's a really ha even though you're on a summit, there's a handy dry stone wall because at this time of year, it's very likely the ch conditions will be challenging. Mm. So we'll be able to shelter in the lee of the wall out of the worst of whatever's getting thrown at us. That's really weird. I was looking back on my videos and, and last May I went out and did a video and it was snowing. And it's like, because yeah. you, you get to this point, like today I walked out the door and it was really pleasant. And I thought, oh, spring's here. Oh, it won't be long till, you know, summer arrives. But it, it, it's, it kicks your ass, doesn't it? British I weather. must admit, I, I'm, I'm always glad when we get to the end of Feb. Mm -hmm. I've just, you know, because it's just driving home now, I can see a little bit of extra daylight, but I've, I've not, these are the worst two months for me. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, we've had, we've had some not bad weather, actually, in all, you know, in all fairness, we've had some blue skies, some nice kind of, nice kind of frosty mornings, but normally, like, you know, January and February can just be drab and miserable and when you've had darkness leading up to Christmas you know you just think oh, I've just I've just had enough now the winter's just gone on forever so once you kind of get to March the 1st for me that's when I start to look forward to, to the new year that's when the new year begins for me March the 1st psychologically because you know like the clock you know the days are getting longer it's not long before the, the clocks go forward and yeah you're marching into spring but anyway, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh Snowdonia, you, you bet your life though, Dave, the, the weekend that we go, it's going to be blowing a gale, it's going to be sidewards rain. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, we've got options, you know, it's not compulsory to head up onto a ridge, so no. you know, we'll find somewhere to go that, that we can still camp out. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, there, there's some really nice bits of woodland. If we need to be sheltered from the worst of it, we, yeah. we'll find somewhere. Yeah, yeah. No, if not, we'll end up in the back of Nick's lives his back garden. <laughs> he, he offered that to us last week, didn't we? So uh, as long as we don't walk up Moyle Shabod with uh, with Nick, because that's where he half killed me walking <laughs> walking from his house up to the summit. Crikey, can he can he motor on? Have you got any plans to go anywhere, Paul? Coming up. No, it's interesting you're talking about um, wild camping because I took my lad wild camping three weeks ago for the first time, and uh, we set up uh, a tent in 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 the woodland. Uh, we ate our dinner, uh, and then I said, "Right, Matthew, we've got 15 hours of darkness." <laughs> he went, "Right." I said, "So we've got two options: we either stay here or we go home." <laughs> And he thought about it, and he says, uh, well, if we go home, can we play FIFA? I said, yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we took the tent down, and we went home. <laughs> and I says, I'll take you, as you said, uh, Darren, when the, when the lights, when the clocks go uh, yeah. forward or back, I'll take you then. I said, because what I don't want to do is spoil your uh, uh, first experience uh, of wild no, camping. No, I think, you, yeah. definitely, I think that's quite right. I mean, especially if, you know, you take him kind of May, June, July, that kind of time where you've got very little darkness, but you've got loads of daylight and That's stuff. That's it. Yeah, you know, that would be really he, nice. He was desperate to go out. So, but as I said, you've got the best experience of camping without the bad bit, which is try to, try to sleep yeah. for 15 hours in the winter. I, I'll be honest yeah. with you, Paul. If, if when I went wild camping with, um, with these two and, and Jamie at Coniston, that was wild camping, right? 
No, yeah. it was in a campsite. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> when I went wild camping with these two. What well, where Jamie. there was the where the pizza stand was two hundred <laughs> yards away. Yeah, two hundred yards exactly. <laughs> Jesus, that was a good hike, man. Yeah, a they, hike. they didn't deliver, did they? No. <laughs> a, they didn't deliver. B, it was even further to get to the shower. That is wild camping. Yeah. Uh, if they'd have, if someone had offered me FIFA, then I'd have packed up and gone home. <laughs> I think I'll be honest with you. So mm-hmm. I kind of get where your son's coming from. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, the, the, the offer, I'm sure, is there for you two gentlemen to join us. Thank you very in much it. indeed. It's, uh, if um, uh, My wild camping days are over. I've, oh, I, I spent years doing it. How can they be it. over? Yeah, but in summer, I won't mind it. It's just that I've spent too many uh, um, long hours in a tent worrying whether or not I was going to still be in the tent next morning it's an interesting one i don't want to bore people but i went while camping in the middle of winter uh, up uh, next to sprinkling town uh, if you don't know where you know that where that is but it's in the lake district it's where tom eaton did his first video from uh, with nothing more than a tarpaulin and it was crampons weather and it was ice pick weather to get up there uh, and we set up camp uh, next to sprinkling town minus five or something like that no problem at all uh, snug as bugs in rugs in these tarpaulins uh, and then uh, within about two hours uh, the weather went from minus five to six degrees and it started to thaw and if you uh, like a uh, lots of corries because it's a it's a corrie sprinkling is there's lots of little tributary streams that come off the side of the mountain to fill fill the lake up and we didn't realize that we'd pitched our tent on snow on a little tributary uh, um, oh. stream and it was gusting 40 miles an hour wind but we were fine in these tents until obviously the ground underneath us started to melt and my uh, friend's tent blew away uh, and then he's chasing after all his stuff now I, I don't know when you go camping what I do is I take dry stuff and then I change into my dry stuff when it's winter yeah. obviously to keep, keep warm so I'm in all my dry stuff and he's screaming at me to come and help him get his, his stuff from uh, blowing away so I went out in my dry stuff and got soaking wet and so we're huddled in my tent and then at two o'clock in the morning we're both in one sleeping bag together to try and keep warm mm. and I said we've got we've got to go we can't stay we can't stay here I said we're going to end up we're going to end up dead um and so it took us seven hours to get down and it's not it's not a long walk it takes you about two hours to get up uh, and we were wading uh, um hip deep in slush and snow just imagine oh, trying to pull, pull 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 your leg out and step one and step another and it's the only time i've ever hallucinated when when we got down to where the car was which was about six seven o'clock in the morning uh i was hearing voices i was hearing voices we were that we were that tired now it, it, it sounds like we were being irresponsible but we we, we knew we knew uh, we've been in conditions like that many times before and we carried uh, uh, a locator beacon with us it's called a spot beacon so you can press it SOS it goes to satellite and then mountain rescue will come and get you and it's the only time and I've carried one for 10 years and it's the only time that I considered pressing it and I said to him uh, I said there's no point in pressing this I said because bloody mountain rescue could have to come up and just walk us back down again so I said, we, we won't do it. Uh, and I made some silly errors 
going down, like sliding down the hill on my backside with just my ice pa- ice axe to sl- slow me down. My mate's going to me, what, what are you doing? You're going to kill yourself. But I wasn't with it. I just, uh, I, I just uh, got to the point. It wasn't hypothermia or anything. I was just absolutely, absolutely exhausted. So that put me off while camping a little bit. <laughs> I must admit, that is a, that is a, pretty out there kind of story really mm-hmm. like for the extreme but i think the only thing that ever worries me um about wild camping on top of a, a summit is if the weather changes during the night um and you get like a real kind of storm coming like an electrical storm because then you're the highest point absolutely yeah. and at that point i just think that that i, I don't i think i would just get down I'd probably just leave the stuff and come back for it in the morning. That would worry me, actually. That I think that's the only thing that would worry me. I have to say, Paul, that, that sounds horrific. Yeah. Really horrific. It reminds me of this time I stayed in a hotel. Uh, very similar experience to you. And the, and the room service wasn't working. And, and there was a noise. There was oh, No, seriously, there was this noise from outside my window in the car park. And it was it was a horrible experience, and I, I think it was very similar to, to what you experienced there. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And ser- okay. seriously, it's the, it's the only time that I thought to myself, "Am I going to see my kids again?" It was yeah. it was it was like yeah. that. Uh, 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 but my mate, he was meticulously packing all his stuff up. And I left quite a bit of stuff. We talk about environmental stuff. I left a, 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 a few bits. Somebody when it thawed, well, they got a load of good kit because I just bung my stuff in my rucksack and, and said I'm going but we, we lost sight of each other and I was panicking because I didn't know where he was he was there packing his stuff up and I thought I'm going to have to tell his wife that he's dead <laughs> uh, it, it was really it was really quite serious again yeah. I had a very similar experience <laughs> at, 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 no, seriously at a Metallica gig in Milton Keynes Bowl that was very similar I, I'd actually run out of money and and there was still three acts to come on and I didn't have any money for beer. And I honestly thought that that was it for me. Yeah. Gail, do you want to come with us in a couple of weeks? No. <laughs> I tell you what, I tell you what. Give me, give me a brief, just tell me what you're doing. Just tell me, like, walk me through what you'll be doing and then I'll let you know. Well, we'll probably park at Ogwin Cottage and then from okay. there... It's probably about a 10, 15 minute hike. No, I'm out. We'll be setting the tents up. <laughs> I'm out. We'll be we'll no, be calling. For, there's a takeaway Chinese. They deliver. Oh, okay. All right. We'll we'll take a crate of beer. Yeah. Um, and, and we'll take a portaloo. So what and are you it, literally? You 10, 15 minute hike. That's all. It are is. you going to camp just behind the toilets? Pretty much. Yeah. Is that yeah, next yeah. next to the burger van? Yeah, because that is 10 <laughs> or 15 minutes for me to get. You, you know where that bridge is? You know that quite a long way up, that bridge where there's a waterfall? Do you know what I mean? It's a long way. You, you park the, the, up... The waterfall? You, yeah. You park the bridge? Up, yeah. That's about three minutes from the car park. No, no, no. That's about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. If you if you want, if you want camp around there, yeah, I, I might be in for it, but any further than that, really, and it's a bit too right. much of a walk. Okay. Right. we'll chat we'll chat I think I'm with you Gary yeah yeah, yeah. actually I might there is there's a rumour that I might go out uh, and meet up with Alan Coles in a couple of weeks possibly that'd be good, that'd be good but that's um, that's not confirmed yet so it all depends whether I oh, oh yeah wild so, camping with Alan no it's not wild camping it'll be like well 
holiday in Newport. So, you know, come see, come saw. Very similar. Um, <laughs> it's quite wild in Newport, I've heard. Um, I It depends, though, because I, I may have got a speeding ticket. So if I've got a speeding ticket on its way to me, then I may not be able to go. But if, if the speeding ticket turns out that I didn't get caught, then we might be all right. Well, okay. Yeah. Keep your fingers crossed you didn't get caught, mate. Yeah. 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 But you are going to do one this year with us, Gal, aren't you? Yes, definitely. Definitely. 100%. Paul, will you do it in the summer? I will. I will, mate. As long Definitely, as, as I say, yeah. it, 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 I've got all the stuff ready to go. It's still packed up, actually, from when I went out with Matt. But, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to, uh, as long as, as I say, it's it's more when we've got a slightly shorter shorter night. It'd be yeah, great. well, I think great Jamie fun. Jamie would do it, won't he? Jamie, oh, Jamie Jeff will. will. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So the five yeah. of us, yeah. Yeah, we're definitely going to do it. Where? Where? Mm-hmm. Any thoughts where? Summit of Mole Shabbard. <laughs> can we not just do it in Nick's God? Can we not? Because that's pretty. Can we, not, can we not do it? Do a monkey and 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 like have a, a chair on a get the on cloud. A thing and we'll we'll we'll, yes. we'll carry you up. I could we'll be, carry you uh, up. What was her name? Uh, on a on the on a on a tower or something. Yeah, yeah. You can take yeah. me up. Yeah, that sounds like yeah, a good plan. We'll, yeah, yeah. I'll be up for that. Yeah, yeah. We'll carry you up like King Tut. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> no, I definitely will. I definitely will, and I think that we should all go up and we should record a, a podcast from the wherever we are, the summit. See, of see the thing we with wild camping is is, is is to be re- in relatively comfortable, and then your camera gear as well. Uh, it can get quite heavy, can't it? Um, and then uh, carrying all the video equipment, unless we use the DSLRs, I suppose we can use those, can't we? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Don't, we don't need any extra video equipment, will we? No. Just the just all the heavy stuff that you. I mean, you you're all right carrying my stuff anyway. You, my my stuff's quite light, really. Yeah. Gary's Sherpas. Yeah, you'll yeah, be fine. You'll be fine. Anyway, I think I think on that note, I think we'll um, I think we'll say good night um, because you know we've been waffling on for long enough. But anyway, thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. See you guys. Bye bye. Bye bye. What a load of old shit. (laughs)